There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome back to Talking Companies. I'm Phil Muscatello. And I'm Mark Tolbin. And today we'd like to welcome Neil Joseph, Managing Director and CEO of Sustainable Nutrition Group, ASX Code TSN. Thanks very much for joining us, Neil. It's a pleasure, Phil. Pleasure, Mark. Nice to join you. Thank you for having me. So, Neil, let's get started by finding out a bit about your background. I mean, tell us about your life before Sustainable Nutrition Group. So, uh, thanks. It's a long and checkered story, but by and large, I've spent my life, other than when I had my own businesses very early on in my career, I've lived in the corporate world. I started my career in food, which is where I am now, working for Pacific Dunlop when it had uh, when it bought Edgel Birdseye and Peter's Ice Cream and and I did a whole variety of roles in my seven years with them, uh, including fresh food, which is probably the closest to where we are today. And I left there and I joined David Jones as the head of cosmetics and beauty when David Jones had announced its maiden loss since 1865, so quite an auspicious time to join. And again, seven years after that, I left and joined Motorola. So very different, very different roles, very different industries. And I ran the Australian channels business for a period of time, ultimately worked my way through and ran the enterprise business for Australia and uh, Asia Pacific and the Middle East. So a very big role. And left there after six years, spending almost every week traveling and decided I had a young family. It was time to reestablish some roots in Melbourne. So I did that, started about seven years ago, a, um, an organic and natural skincare business, which I sold two years ago, and joined Sustainable Nutrition Group, which was then called Australian Primary Hemp, uh, in March 2020, just as COVID locked down Australia. So it's not a better time to start. <laughs> well, that's a great lead into uh, Sustainable Nutrition Group. Tell us about what Sustainable Nutrition Group does. So Sustainable Nutrition Group was formed in 2017, by two really entrepreneurial farmers who were looking for alternative proteins. And they tried a number of things and then they tried growing hemp and it worked. This was a move where then in 2018, end of 2017 when hemp was legalised, they sold hemp protein and hemp oil to food manufacturers primarily. Forward that to October 2019 when the company was floated to raise money for growth and then I joined in February of 2020 as head of product when they were really looking for a broader strategy, seeing that just commodity selling wasn't going to give them the growth or the margin thereafter. So um, Sustainable Nutrition Group now focuses on broader plant-based nutrition, not just hemp. We have the traditional ingredients business, which we're now doing some really exciting, innovative things that I hope we talk about a bit later. We have our branded food business called Mount Elephant, named after the very first farm that the hemp was ever grown on. And we have a range of baking products, snack products, the first hemp and oat milk in Australia, all ranged in supermarkets, Coles and Woolworths and the like, across the country. We have a pet range called Field Day, which is a plant-based pet range all about pet nutrients. And we have just acquired in January of this year the Australian Superfood Co., which is the leader in Indigenous ingredients in Australia. And what pulls all that together 
is the whole theme around plant-based nutrition and sustainability and traceability and taking niche products and making them mainstream. So we think there's just this great move. We see that all our research shows us this great move towards plant-based sustainable nutrition in many areas, and we want to uh, take a part of it. And Neil, you referenced the farmers there at the start of the corporate history. I know pretty much all of them that you work with are based down in Tasmania. Um, Just, you know, with this whole Russia-Ukraine thing we've seen, you know, soft commodity, agricultural commodity prices, among others, going crazy. Are you affected by that at all, or is it like a 100% Australia-based supply chain for you? So our our supply chain, by and large, is Australian-based. Farmers down in Tasmania, processing in Tasmania and Geelong, and to Australian customers. So where we are impacted is on some of the ingredients for some of our mixes, which we bring in from overseas, and some of the packaging, which we bring in from overseas. And then just the general constraints around supply chain and freight cost availability, which is impacting everybody. It's impacted our customers, it's impacted ourselves, it's impacted our suppliers. And then the third impact, which isn't really Ukraine-based, but is COVID and the impact that that's had on availability, primarily of people. Can we maybe get a little bit more expansion on the four divisions, if I can call them them, Mount Elephant, the acquisition, how that fits in, the pet food range and the ingredients range? and maybe how they all interlink with each other, but how they also kind of maybe diversify you a bit as well, even though they're hemp at the core, but kind of servicing different geographies and different kind of customer bases. Sure. So to call them different divisions um, is probably at this stage of our evolution is, is quite grand wire. We're very sort of key for, for channels probably. If I take our, our human nutrition business, which is Mount Elephant. So Mount Elephant is a range of value-added products where we're focusing on really large categories that have not had a lot of innovation. And what we're doing is we're matching the flavour profiles of the most popular products, but bringing them in a plant-based, healthy, sustainable way. So a perfect example of that is one of our first ranges, which was in cakes and pancakes. Very large category in Australia, about $160 million just in grocery, growing at about 24% a year. Very strong growth based on people cooking more at home now during and post-COVID. And the major players in that category are very old, traditional companies, some American companies, some Australian companies. Their ingredients are very processed, processed sugar, processed flour, um, artificial ingredients. We looked at that category and said there's no one offering a true, sustainable, healthy offer. And given that the core target market for that is young families and young mums who want to give something healthy to their kids, it was a way of giving them a really delicious alternative that was healthy without compromising on taste, but in fact adding to the sustainable and traceable products that they could have with their kids. So that's how we think about it. And so we've, we've entered into there, we've entered into the milk market with hemp and oat milk, the first hemp and oat milk in this country. And again, really innovative. We've started in mainstream retail, but we are expanding into cafes as we move forward because that's a very significant market for that. And then the other category that we're in now is spices and seasonings. Again, very large category, dominated by a couple of big globals and a house brand with very little innovation. So we're bringing some very significant innovation there and it's, it's proving to be quite successful. In our pet strategy, we have two elements to the pet strategy. One is our branded product called Field Day, which uh, my wife actually named after walking through the park and saying these dogs look like they're having a field day and I thought that stuck. So I spoke to my marketing guys and they thought it was pretty good. And so we have a range of 
pet nutrients. We're not in the pet food market. That pet food market is dominated by massive global players that we could never hope to ever hope to beat. But there is a the fastest growing category in the US and Asian pet market is pet supplements. And the reason that it's so big is because the pet ownership during COVID has gone through the roof, number one. Australia has the largest per capita pet ownership in the world as 61% of households own a dog. Then you add cats, then you add horses, then you add a range of other things. But two, there's this humanisation of pet. Pets have become a core part of the family fabric and they want them to live longer. They want them to be around for a lot longer for their kids, etc. And three, what we're seeing is there's been a new range of insurance that's grown called pet insurance, which is very significant. And if, if you have a dog or a cat or any pet and it gets sick and you go to the vet, it costs a fortune. So what we are trying to do is, I guess, extend the quality and length of, of the pet's life so that people don't have to have big claims at the vet and that are part of the family. So that's really the driver of our pet branded business. And then what we've also done is out of one of the byproducts of our hemp hulling, we've actually created a horse feed. We've created that, we've mixed it with other nutrients that are great for the equine market. We've done some processing to it and we now sell that into the equine market. No major claims, but it's highly nutritious. It's got lots of oil in it, which is great for horse digestion and lots of roughage. That's two businesses. The third business is our ingredients business. So that's two parts. One is the acquisition and one is our core, our old business. So our old business is effectively hemp seeds, hemp oil, hemp protein, etc. Um, and we sell that in bulk and different varieties to the cosmetics industry, pharmaceutical industry, food industry. And we've grown that from a small business to now a very sustainable business underpinned by very strong contracts. Then we recently acquired Australian Superfood Co., the leader in, in indigenous ingredients, products like kakadu plum, finger lime, Davidson plum, wattle tree, pepperberry, and there's about 50 or 60,000 of them. These ingredients are primarily farmed in small farms in indigenous communities around the country, often foraged. So supply chain is a real challenge. So we've implemented a thing called the Native Harvest Initiative, bringing agronomy to those farmers so that they can actually scale up and support their communities. And we see a huge amount of value add that we can bring to those ingredients to make them mainstream. So you'll see some of the the great brands around the world, great gin brands like Four Pillars in Australia, has indigenous flavors in it. Manly Spirits have indigenous flavors. Their connoisseurs ice cream have indigenous flavors. And a large number of those companies that are now developing this flavor profile and the plant-based profile that comes along with it. Back to our core ingredients business, we are actually value-adding. So we announced in, in November of last year a contract with Australian Plant Proteins to really create the world's first hemp concentrates and isolates, and that's progressing really well. That's a very long-winded answer to a very short question. No, that's great. And earlier in our conversation, you referenced the research that you do into consumer behaviour. What are you seeing about consumer demand for these kind of products and how is it? how quickly has it changed? If you can show us a little bit of a, the shape of that and um, where we're headed. Absolutely. So the desire for plant-based and sustainable nutrition isn't a short-term trend. We've seen move to natural in many, many categories for a long time. We've seen it in washing detergents and cleaning materials where people are concerned about the environment. We've seen it in the paint industry. We're seeing it in building products. We're seeing it across the board, and we're seeing it in food equally. I came, as I mentioned, I had a skincare business, and we we had a range of natural organic skincare, and the natural subsegment of the market has been growing at double the rate of growth of the, uh, the core skincare market, as an example. So one of the things that people used to compromise on was efficacy of product versus the natural ingredients. 
So I'm doing the right thing. But if you've got a cleaning product and it's not cleaning the bathroom the way you need to, ultimately you want a bathroom that's clean. So you'll use it once, great idea, but I won't use it until something's better. In the food industry, we've seen technology evolve so quickly in terms of the ability to extract, the ability to be able to use alternative sweeteners. I'll give you a perfect example. Right now, sugar is one of the biggest commodities in the world and will probably be for a very long time. Our ability to use things like monk fruit extract, coconut sugar, maple syrup, all natural, all unprocessed, and in really small quantities because of natural sweetness is really high, means that the consumer doesn't have to compromise. And that's the fundamental thing. Now, consumers won't compromise on taste. If you have a cup of coffee with hemp and oat milk in it and it doesn't taste any good, you'll never order it again. If you're ordering a product that just doesn't taste good or doesn't meet the standard flavour profile, so you've got to win on flavour every single time. If you can provide the flavour and provide the quality, then you'll get that outcome. And now we're able to do that and we're not the biggest consumer goods company by far, but others are doing it now. And you're seeing a lot of the mainstream brands now have a plant-based offer, and we think that's really exciting. So we see it growing. Every number you look at talks about this very significant growth over the coming decade, and the numbers are already big. The plant-based protein market, just as an ingredient, is worth $10.3 billion US dollars already. And Neil, as you say, you joined Australia Primary Hepo, as it was called then, uh, Sustainable Nutrition Group now, in February 2020. So jumping into the hot seat right before COVID, I'm sure there was a lot of strategy meetings and a complete rethink and fast forwarding of the kind of e-commerce strategy, given the lockdown regulations we had over COVID. Can you maybe just talk to me a bit about the split between the businesses of the the direct-to-consumer via e-commerce versus the more kind of traditional distributors into the big retailers like Woolworths, Coles, and on the pet food side, you know, your pet barns and those guys. Okay. So um, very early on, when there was nowhere else to distribute because of COVID, we had a very significant growth in our online sales. We also started to participate with third-party marketplaces, people like Goodness Me, Flora and Fauna, Honest to Goodness, and others. And that business continues to grow. As the other mainstream retailers have come online, as a percentage of our business has probably dropped a little bit because those others have grown quite significantly. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. We see the opportunity to use online the online business in, I guess, three or four ways. Number one is the direct-to-consumer model from our own websites. That continues to grow. And what we're doing is we're getting really rich data and rich insights into who buys our product, when they buy them, why they buy them, and we can create quite an intimate relationship in that regard. The online platforms continue to grow as part of this sector. And so, as I said, goodness me and the others are all growing at double-digit growth per month, and as are we with them, which is really exciting. But also what we've seen is the online component of, of our mainstream customer. So Coles and Woolworths talk about maybe 12 or 15% of their revenue 
is probably probably more 15 to 17 in the latest quarter is really a core part of their business. It wasn't that. People weren't very proud of when it was 5 or 7% pre-COVID. That remains. In the pet food industry, slightly different. In the pet industry where people often buy their products in bulk, so I don't know if either of you have a dog, but if you have a dog, often people buy their dog food in 30-kilo bags or whatever, it's pretty heavy to put in the back of the car and drive home. So there's an inbuilt online component into that business. So it's about 35% in pet food. So again, we get the best of both worlds. We get the ability to communicate in store and we get the the ability to communicate directly online and really get deep, rich consumer insights. So we see that as a growing part of our business. It's relatively small now um, because we've been focusing on mainstream, but it is continuing to grow. Presumably, it's not just you that have identified these consumer trends, but um, like you say, the supermarket majors as well. What are you seeing from their demand for your products and how are they reacting and and what are you seeing from from that side of things? We're seeing a really deep engagement with them. Woolworths have positioned themselves as the fresh food people since I was a kid. That's a long time ago. They really have a deep understanding of the value of Australian produce, not just fruit and vegetables, but meat and cheese and, and dairy products and the like. And they have seen this trend probably over a decade ago, and they're really embracing it across all categories. So they they acknowledge that sometimes the natural alternative is a slight premium. The consumer will only pay a slight premium to the mainstream. So they work very hard. Often they negotiate very hard, but they work very hard to make sure that the products are are at a slight premium. What's in it for them? So the customer that would come in and spend $4 on a standard pancake mix on a natural alternative, which tastes really good, may spend $6 or $5.50. So that increases the basket size for them. That's number one. The other thing that we've learned is that consumers generally shop around the edge of a supermarket. They walk in and they buy fresh produce. They go and get their meat and their fish and they walk around the edge and then they go. And they only go into the aisles when their list says, I've got to buy a pancake mix or I've got to buy a dishwashing detergent or I've got to buy ice cream. Other than that, they don't. So one of the values that we're bringing is going into categories like spices and sprinkles where we all have a a rack of spices in our house and they're only replenished when you've run out. What we are doing in that area is we're saying ours is not an ingredient. Ours is to put on afterwards. So therefore, and it can be used in multiple occasions for breakfast, lunch and dinner, So what it's doing for the supermarket is it's inviting the consumer to come into those aisles more often. And so that's then growing their total pie. We've seen it in bakery and we're seeing it now in spices and sprinkles. And the milk aisle, which we're only a small player in at this stage, if you actually look at the amount of space that's put up there for plant-based milks, it's really, really significant. So they're really embracing in those. It doesn't work in all categories where, for example, there was a really big flourish in plant-based meats. As an example, there's a whole lot of press and publicity around it's going to change the world. But often those products have not met the consumer taste profile or the texture profile. And so there are some that have tried and failed. There's some that are doing really well. Impossible Burgers, a perfect example, is doing extremely well. Others are doing well. But to get that right, to have the flavour profile and the texture profile in something you've got to put in your mouth is essential. So when those brands work the retailers really back them so we're getting really excellent support from Coles and Woolworths and are really actually quite humbled by what they're doing with us. 
Neil, I know as part of the the acquisition you just did in January on the Australian uh, superfoods business, uh, they have a little bit of international sales as, as kind of part of their overall revenue mix. Um, can you just talk to us about that and where I think maybe more on the ingredient side, there is the possibility of both on the Australian superfood side and the core hemp business and the isolates to get those products into international markets because I, I would imagine the the branded pet food and the branded uh, products business must be very competitive in other international markets. I don't think there's such thing as an uncompetitive market these days, Mark. I think there are so many great companies and retailers and e-tailers and so much innovation. So I think everything's competitive, number one. We see international opportunity across our portfolio. In Australian superfoods, which you alluded to earlier, they already export products to South Korea and to the United States. And we think that there's a real opportunity by doing some extra value adding to those products, by turning some of the core products into different powders and syrups, etc. We think we can do some really good things. So it's a small part of the business now, but it's really in a nascent stage. In terms of the other parts of the business, we think it's, it's where we'll value add, which is then where we'll be able to export. So you touched briefly before on the isolates. So if I think about isolates as an example, so isolates is basically the purest form of usable protein that we can create out of hemp. And there are isolates in other, in other products as well. Raw hemp is grown in lots of countries and with little value added is freely available and often at lower cost than is in Australia because of the scale that it's grown. We look at the hemp isolates as an example where we've been able to create a product that's already naturally high in protein and take it to nearly 90% protein. And it will be colourless, flavourless, soluble, and unlike many other plant proteins, is non-GMO, is non-allergenic, and we can have it as 100% traceable. So that is really unique in the world. So we see lots of opportunity where we can add value like that and then take that into the global markets. As I said before, the global plant-based ingredients market is worth north of $10 billion US dollars and growing at a high rate every year. So we see that as an opportunity there. And on our branded products, again, it's about differentiation and innovation. And so we see that in our Mount Elephant products, again, being able to use our isolate as a core ingredient, it's going to give it a point of difference. But in our pet products, the pet products that we're producing are truly innovative. And we have benchmarked ourselves against some of the, the best and most innovative brands in the United States and in Europe and in Japan and in Korea. And um, we think we've got an opportunity here with the pureness of our ingredients plus the innovation we're bringing to enter into those markets. And we're already having some detailed conversations with a few international retailers on pet food. Neil, what's exciting you the most at the moment about the business? That's a great question. There's a number of things which excite me about the business. I think the first thing is that we're an Australian public company that is playing in a space which is so innovative and growing. And so for us, that will create value for our shareholders and will be a place, we hope, where people who are looking for exposure to this sector can invest their money because there aren't that many places that you can do it. So the opportunity to be that company, I think, is number one. Number two, I'd have to say it's our people. Right? We just have this really small group of incredibly motivated and hardworking people right across our business, not just inside our business, but I think about our farmers. I think about some of our contract manufacturers. I think about the freight forwarders, et cetera, that we use, a really, really, really committed group of people. Third 
is this product innovation that we're going through. I'm super excited about the isolates and the proteins and what we can do there because it's unique and it will be patented and we will we'll really get some great outcomes. And then fourth is building these brands in these really defined markets. The pet market is so big and so dynamic and we think you don't need a large market share to do very well. And we're focusing in an area which is really nascent. Pet nutrients in Australia is really small. And it's only exploded in the last few years in the US and China and through Asia. So we know this market's just at the beginning of incredibly exciting growth. And then last but not least, it's all underpinned by this movement to sustainability and plant-based. So given that we don't compromise on the efficacy of the outcome and we can deliver it in a sustainable way, I think we're just at the beginning. I think about the packaging innovation that we have planned to make everything sustainable and we're only scratching the surface on that. I think about the improvements we've been able to work through with our farmers where we've taken yields from less than 500 kilos a hectare to 1.2, 1.3 tonnes per hectare is super exciting. The yields and the improvement we've made in our own facilities, getting it from 17% yield to 45% yield, just hardworking, smart, innovative thinking, which there's no limit to it. We're really passionate about what we do. So it's bringing all of that together. There's not one thing. There's several things which keep me super busy and my team super busy and excited all the time. They're really engaged. They're really focused. It's a real honour, actually, to work with such a group of people. And it's a real honour that our shareholders have entrusted us with their money to be able to uh, grow this business. So there's no shortage of things that excite me. I'm easily excited, but <laughs> this has really excited me. The only other question I've got, of course, is uh, what was it like working with the ladies in black? I used to work at DJs as well. <laughs> did you? What did you do? Oh, I was uh, shirts and underwear a long time ago, very long time ago, Thursday night and Saturday morning casual. Uh, at school, yes, I, d- I did that at uh, what was Grace Brothers in Sydney, which became... Myers when I was at uni and end of school. Um, Look, working for David Jones was one of the most interesting things I've done. For a venerable retailer to have tried to grow in a number of ways before I joined and then to refocus and then reset in a time after its first loss since 1865. And I joined in, I think, 1995 or something like that. So it's a really long run of profitable trading in a time where there was a really big question mark about department stores and should they survive as online kept growing and growing. There was a war between David Jones and Meyer at that stage and Meyer got taken over a private equity group and we had a really a visionary CEO in Mark McGuinness who really knows retail. So for me, working with that history and that brand and then dealing with some of the brands. So I mean I dealt in cosmetics and beauty. So dealing with great brands like Estee Lauder, Chanel, Dior, some of the great international houses and learning from them and what they do overseas and how we could bring that to Australia as really the custodian of their brand was a real honour and a massive learning for me. And I've tried to take some of those learnings about these great brands to build into our brands here. It was just great fun and not a single day was the same. And, you know, we only had 40, 43 stores I think then, but each one was different, each one was nuanced. Every customer was different. We really knew our customers well. A lot of those learnings I'm taking in as I've gone forward and used in other worlds. So just really, just a wonderful experience. I have to say of the companies I've worked for, each of them has brought such a different perspective to me, which I hope to be able to use as I go forward. Neil Joseph, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Thanks, Neil. 
Companies interviewed for this podcast have contributed to the cost of production. This should not be construed as sponsorship or endorsement. The role of this podcast is to convey the company's story. All listeners must seek advice from an ASIC licensed finance professional before making any investment in these companies. Listeners are required to do their own research and due diligence in conjunction with the relevant advice from your ASIC licensed finance professional. Participation by companies in the podcast does not suggest or imply any sort of recommendation about the companies being interviewed. Nothing in the podcast is to be considered general or personal financial advice in any way, shape or form. All company interviews are for informational and educational purposes only. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.